This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Baruch Atah Adonai Eleheinu Melech HaOilam Shahakol Nebrva. So, um, the question today, and I should have recorded that, um, is uh, uh, specifically uh, on prayer. How's it going, ladies? Welcome. Told you there's latecomers coming in here. How you doing, Moshe? Nice to see you. Uh, there's a table for two right there, meaning uh, you can sit all together right there if you want. Um, so the question is, doesn't it get a little meaningless saying these words over and over again, the same prayers over and over and over again? And um, and then there's the question of, like, does God really need that? Or what are we fulfilling for God? And, you know, what is he like an egomaniac or something? Like he needs to hear us praise him all day? And, and what's my praise of God anyway? For example, let's say you're like the best violin player in the world. And... Someone comes in who's never heard a classical concert in his life, but somehow got backstage afterwards to tell you what a nice job you did. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? You know, like the kid doesn't even know the first thing about violin playing. Oh, thank you very much. That's really meaningful. You know, so what, Jesse's praise to God, as if Jesse understands what he's actually thanking God for, when, you know, what do we know? I, okay, a physicist who's like a doctorate in physics, for him to praise God. So it's meaningful, but he wants you praising God. And I mean, unless there's something I don't know about you, I don't think you're a doctorate in physics. And so, okay, physicists praising God's a big deal, or at least it means something. But you praising God, what, what difference does it make? You get the question? And, um, and what were our rabbis thinking with telling us to do this three times a day? I mean, that's like, that's, that's rough. Yeah, anything we do daily generally dies. You know, think about anything you do daily. The ritual just kills it. It dies after a while. And uh, so what were our sages thinking? And, and, and are we in the kind of generation that sh- could be doing such a thing meaningfully? You know, th- these days I mean, people have trouble doing anything meaningfully. And, uh, and so how are we supposed to derive meaning out of this? And, and yet we're not being told we're exempt from all this. We're, we're actually being told we should be doing this, which brings feelings of guilt for not doing it. And to make matters even worse for men is you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You've got to be with a group of men, which there's nothing more emasculating than having to pray with a group of men. You could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, walk in the door, and the guy looks at you and he says, Seven. Who are you calling Seth? Do you, know, do you know who you're talking to, man? Do you know who you're messing with? Yeah, yeah, we're messing with number seven. Please sit down and open a prayer book. I mean, it's, it, I mean you might as well just like castrate people at the door. And, and... And probably the worst part about all of it is if you blow it off, you just feel like hell. You know, like you can't live with yourself because we're so trained to do it it's from childhood. It's like our father's just watching to see if we're going to suffer too. <laughs> like, are you going to suffer too? 
you know, through all this, because they're, they're just watching, you know, you know, you know that feeling, you know that feeling when your father's saying he's going to pray, but what he's really saying is you should be coming with me, you know that feeling, and it's like, so to the point where you finally punish him enough times for even saying he's going to pray, though he no longer even says it, he just goes, and probably what he's praying about most of the time while he's praying is that you're also praying, he, he probably forgets about the words and he's just praying you're praying. But it's gotten very wrapped up, this whole prayer thing. And, and it's pretty sad that the intimate, this intimate thing called prayer has been like, literally, it's gone through the slicer, like the dicer. It's, it's gone through the egg slicer, this thing called prayer. And there's, there's like almost nothing left of it for anybody. There's almost nothing left of it for anybody anymore. I myself, I go to prayer groups where people look like me a lot. And, and, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's a couple hundred people sometimes. And uh, my sense is that within an hour or two after that, meaning when they're done in, for the next hour or two, that they don't sense something happened at all during the hour they were praying. You know what I'm talking about where you pray but you don't sense anything took place? Like, nothing actually took place, so what did I just do with my time? I'll give you another example. Have you ever gone to the beach and swam in the ocean? You ever done that? Do you know something happened that day for the rest of the day since you had been in that salt water and swam around and stuff? You sense something took place, right? When you're driving back from the beach, your body feels the salt water on it. It's like, it's like something happened. There was an immersion that took place. You go to a rock concert, something happened. You play sports, something happened. You went to gym, something happened. You went hiking, something happened. You went to a party, things happened there. But when you go to most prayer groups, nothing happened. Nothing happened. You come out of there like, like nothing happened. And so how many times, if you do the math, if you're in there for like, well, they've gotten it down to about a half hour, twenty with half hour with Torah reading and 20 minutes without so we've gotten it down to like the bare minimum. You know, it's gotten much more painless. But let's say you're in shul, half hour plus 15 minute mincha plus 10 minute marif. So it's approximately an hour. But if there's an hour out of your day every day saying certain things where nothing happened. You don't get a sense that anything really took place. There was no real immersion. I never swam. So, can you imagine going to the beach to swim and you find out it's jellyfish day? That happens in Israel in the summertime. There's these several weeks where you just can't go in there. And people, some people say, I'm going in anyway. Macho man. And, and then he cries like a little girl in a tutu. You know, he's getting bit to pieces by, by jellyfish. It's not worth it. And those things don't go away quick. Just everyone should know, if you do get bit by jellyfish this summer... Um, what you do is, you, after, when you get back to the beach, you you grind into your skin, right, where you got bit, hot sand. Grind hot beach sand into your skin, and you can even bring a cup of beach sand back to Jerusalem with you and heat it up in the sun and grind it in later. It will save you from your ailments. <sighs> Always got to give advice for a jellyfish. As a surfer. So what we're going to have to do now is a meditation. 
We're going to do a meditation now, and we're all going to immerse ourselves. We're going to immerse ourselves. The, see, what's lost, before we do this, what's lost is a couple things. Number one is patience. You know, prayer is always meditation. But how many of us approach it as meditation? And how many of us approach it as something we're trying to kind of fulfill the obligation? Like we're trying to just fulfill an obligation. Meaning if this is your future and this is your present and that's the past. You know, like future, present, past. Future, present, past. So what's happened to most Jews is they've got prayer in their future. <laughs> or benching in their future. Or they've got, I don't know what they've got in their future. But let's say they've got shachris in their future. So what they're trying to do is shachris. Benching. They're trying to get it from the future to the past. Because it's in the way of their day. It's like people make Kiddush Shabbos night. It's like Kiddush is in the way of the wine. And Al-Nitzil Asyadayim. And Hamotzi is in the way of the food. And I just need to get Al-Nitzil Asyadayim and Hamotzi from the future to the past. And then there's this extra prayer we have, which literally means the extra prayer. It's called Musaf. On Shabbos, it's the extra prayer. But you can already smell the chillant. You can already taste the kugel. You want out of there and you want to get to that kiddush. And that's why it's called musaf, because there's this great animal in Canada called a moose. And you feel like it's riding on your back. So get the moose off so I can get to the kiddush. <laughs> musaf. Prayer is always meditation. It's just that we've lost that. No one does that. Except for a few people, which we're about to do. You're going to be amongst the meditators when you pray. But prayer is meditation. And in fact, our rabbis say, in Shulchan Aruch, they say in the Code of Jewish Law, better to say little meditatively than a lot without meditation. Meaning the point is the relationship much more than the words you say. Now, Kabbalistically, the prayer book's full of all kinds of Kabbalistic stuff. So there is a bare minimum. There is a skeleton of Kabbalistic import that every Jew must say, no matter who he is, what he's feeling, if he's into it, if he's not into it. Now, if it's 12.30 and I can finally pray the afternoon service, but I ain't feeling it, should I pray or should I wait? What do these guys say? Prayer, wait, based on what I said. I'm not feeling it. No, 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 you can only do it once. Even the skeleton's a one-time thing. You can't do it again. So what do you guys say? It's now midday. I can finally pray the afternoon service, and there's actually one gathering, but I ain't into it, man. I'm not feeling it at all. Should I pray or not pray? Pray. Or should I wait for a later one? Wait for later, later, man. I'll be feeling it later. So I don't pray. Wait for later. Two o'clock minion goes by. Not feeling it. Do I pray? No, wait. Four o'clock, Gesher minion. Pray or not pray? Pray or not pray? I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it at all. No. Shkia's, what's Shkia right now? 740? Okay, you ready? 740. On the dot. Still not feeling it. Pray or not pray? What's the answer? Pray, because in the end, that skeleton's a Kabbalistic skeleton. It should be said, at least the skeleton. The bottom line, get it done. This is, meaning there's a certain aspect of prayer that is generic. It's not special to Jesse. It's not special to 
Ben. It's not special to Lauren. Lauren. It's just that I'm a Jew who prays. I'm Jew number 4,600,328 Jew. You ever notice that we pray, you know, we wear our prayer shawls and we have these, you know, they're often black and white striped. You know why? Why we got these black and white stripes here? Sorry if you can see it online over there. It's my black and white stripes. You know why we... Am I showing my belly button? What's everyone laughing about? So, you know that black and white stripe? You know why we wear that? It's barcode. <laughs> so God knows who in the world it is praying down there. Just kidding. So, but there is a level of just barcode. You get that? Like, I'm just another Jew in a group of men going like this and saying certain things. And Kabbalistically, I may have no clue what the Kabbalah is, which is not the case in my case, because I study this stuff. But if, but I may have no clue Kabbalistically, but it's 740. And I may have skipped every minion because I don't want to just do the Kabbalistic good deed. I don't want to just help every mineral. I'm give you a little Kabbalah. I don't want to just sustain every mineral, vegetable, animal, human, and then all the spiritual complexities. I don't want to just give them divine sustenance via these words. I want to feel it. I want to be into it. I want to be meditative. I want to be immersed in this sea of prayer. But I didn't feel it, and I'm not going to be immersed. It's just not my day for prayer. So 740 hits, I go pray. And God reads the barcode, and somehow the mineral, plant, animal, people, and and all the crazy spiritual things get their sustenance off me. And by the way, you don't know which ones are getting off you. Like Jesse, you may think you're in this whole process of like learning Judaism, Ben, but you may have you may actually be such an important Jew who who's like the literally mineral. Rocks are siphoning off their rockness, and plants are siphoning off their plantness off you. And it was enough time already that they got like they got ripped off for enough years that the spiritual counterpart of every rock, plant, animal, person said to God, "Hey, man, we need Jesse's prayers. Where the hell is that guy?" And then God starts planting all these ideas in your head, and your mom's like, "No," and you're like, "Yes," and. And you're, <laughs> and now you're praying, and yes, it's meaningless, and you're not feeling immersed, and it's not meditative, and it's and it and all the English is is mind numbing with all the praise, exalt, laud. Have a laud. When's the last time you lauded anything? You know, I'm gonna laud it. We're gonna laud God. Yeah, <laughs> it's God laud. So anyway. So, it's funny, my family's from a town in Romania called Glad. Anyway, the, who knows what you're doing here? What are we all doing here? Like, maybe we're just some, like, the Kabbalistic realities are using us while we do mitzvahs. We understand Zippo, so we don't really know what we're doing here. Like, what do you really understand when you keep Shabbat or... You know, what do you really understand when you, you know, sh- shake cosmic vegetation and s- like? What are you doing? Like, have you lost your mind? You know, it's your Jewish lightsaber. You're like Luke Skywalker now, and you're like, mm-hmm. 
someone told me they were at a uh, they were at a uh, in the Amazon jungle on some like wild me- like medicine from the jungle and they're in a completely different universe now like hallucinating into a completely different universe and but in that universe not everything's friendly because human beings usually don't hang around there too much but they went up there on this medicine and now well, there's a couple beings over there that weren't so happy about their presence and decided to come take them out. Now, that ain't going to look so good. You don't want to get taken out. And so he's about to get taken out. And he's sitting in a room with 30 Westerners who all paid a certain amount of money to be able to sit in this jungle and go on this crazy journey off this magic potion. And this is kind of like rich... This is like kind of the rich guy's uh, vacation these days. Meaning half the people in that room are from Manhattan. They're like... They're like, you know, what do they call this? This is called, oh gosh, um, something tourism. Uh, I forget what the term is. There's some term for it now because like the rich and famous go down to the Amazon and take these psychedelic substances and spend like 10 days in the jungle, you know, on an all expense, you know, it's expensive trip and they cover it all in one package and they go do this in the Amazon. You know, it's like, uh, I forget what it's called. It's like psychedelic tourism, something like that. Anyway, but the beings up there aren't always so happy you came by. Meaning, what are you doing there? Why are you in the parallel realms? There's, you know, the Jesse, you know, there's parallel realms going on out there. This is all, I mean, you have to learn, know a little physics, but light becomes matter, right? Anyone knows a little physics, light becomes matter? Physics has a lot of theories how that happens, but no one really knows how light becomes matter. Well, I'll tell you one thing. How light becomes matter is a process, right? Light doesn't just become matter. It's a process. And that process is the parallel realms. The light becoming matter. God said, let there be light, so he's putting out light. But that doesn't make matter. Matter comes over a period of time of that light getting filtered out until there's finally physicality weaving itself into existence where we are. So we're on the outer crust of some, like, incredible parallel world, or worlds. We're the outer crust here. This is why Kabbalists and physicists never change their clothing. It's just not that important to them. They change their undergarments, let's hope. And let's hope they shower once in a while. But they just don't care. Meaning all of your desire to, like, be in cool clothes or something like that is, like, the last thing on their list because they don't even believe they exist. They don't believe any of us exist. Meaning we do exist, but we're just the outer crust of existence. And so why would I be at all concerned about the car I drive or the clothes I wear? The main thing is that my clothes somehow are are wrapping up my sanctuary, which is the body. The body is the sanctuary. The soul is what the sanctuary has in it, meaning... Your body's your sanctuary, the soul's what somehow hangs around it. That's why we say, umafli la sot. Jesse, you learned the bathroom bracha yet? We make a bracha after the bathroom. The last two words, when you click on them, it's umafli la sot. When you click on umafli la sot, it takes you to a website that explains brachas. And you know what the mafli la sot is? You said it before, mafli la sot. You know what it is? It's that he acts wondrously. That's what art school says. But what are the wondrous acts? So when you click on it, it says that the soul hangs around the body. How can something that takes up no space and time hang around something that does take up space and time? How does your soul hang around you? Like, have you ever tried running really fast to see if it can keep up? 
You know, and no matter how fast you run, there it is. And not to mention the fact that there are movie cameras all around you because because wherever you are, this it's always the set of the film that you're in. So you ever tried running really fast and maybe you could like go faster than the set and the people filming you all the time? When you go to bed at night, you should try this in the morning. When you go to bed at night, go like this. Good night. Say good night to the film crew. Because they're all around you all the time, filming your life. You're the star of the film. Like, think about it. If you, what's your name? Michelle. Michelle, if you walk out in the lobby right now, you'd be in the lobby. Just go, oh my gosh, he's right. Like, the camera's following me everywhere. Like, I'm, I'm the star of this film. And so for those of you who sleep in a little late, the camera crew's just like, come on, already, come on. They're waiting all night. They're like, because they film you while you sleep. And finally it's morning. You're starting to stretch. I'm like, okay, okay, they're getting up. Okay, rolling. Oh, great. She's on her way to the bathroom. You know, I hate this part. (laughs) So... I always feel bad for my camera crew first thing in the morning. So, anyway. Why are we talking about this? We're in the middle of prayer. Wait, no, let me get back to prayer. Oh, so check this out. I remember why I was talking about that shaman. So that shaman, the guy's in a realm that he's not welcome in, so he's getting attacked by dark forces. And it ain't pretty, and he's like starting to panic, and he, you can't get out of there once you've drunk the potion you're in. So he's getting attacked. And what happens is, ready for this? It's going to sound totally freaky. The leader, the shaman, who's called like you know the the medicine chief who gave the potion, ready for this? Gets up off of his spot, moves across this kind of candlelit dark room with thirty other businessmen in it. And takes leaves and starts rustling them together like this by the guy's head and all over his body. And the guy who's in a parallel realm sees the dark forces that attacked him go shooting away like that. Just like out of existence. Now, how in the world did that little four-foot medicine chief with a big bone through his nose have any clue what was going on with that guy there were 30 other people in the room how did he have any idea what was going on there so anyway i'm not one of these corporate guys but i heard the story from a a student of mine who's like you know a mega wealth type guy who went on one of these uh, vacations and it was a few weeks before sukkot and the next thing i know i'm there on sukkot going in all these directions. And then I go to a class taught by my Rebbe, and my Rebbe's talking about how, well, there's certain dark forces that aren't so happy about us. And throughout the year, they can come and attack. They're dangerous. They're kind of spiritual terrorists. And when that sound is made off the lulav, when you shake that cosmic vegetation, that sound you make in all those directions, well, those, like, push it away. They just push it away from every direction. And this is what I'm quoting right now is the Zohar, which is the book of Jewish mysticism. It's the Kabbalah. 
So the Zohar says that when it sh- that sound that the leaves shaking make pushes away the evil. Well, that's pretty interesting correlation. And how that medicine chief knows where he's holding is crazy. But he does know where he's holding. And, and we have our own chance as Jews to shake our cosmic vegetation and make that sound and in a, in a mitzvah with, uh, you know, four different species in a bundle and shaking that thing back to the heart, to that direction, shaking back to the heart. Ezra, what's up? Before you said that the soul is outside of space and time, if the soul is outside of space and time, wouldn't that make it God? Yeah. It would? It would, yeah. Then how can you have multiple souls? <laughs> That's an amazing question. You know, if you took a, if you took a, a bowl of water, yeah, and, and then, uh, let's say you pasted a bunch of these cups together, so now you have a, a lot of cups. Or let's say you had a pan this height, and, and you tape a bunch of cups together, and you put them all inside the pan, and now you pour water into the pan until, you know, raise it all up. So, it really is just a pan full of water, right? It's just a pan full of water, but each cup's certainly uniquely containing water. Each cup's unique from the other cup. It's not one cup, it's 30 cups. And those 30 cups are all with water inside of them, so it's just a pan full of water. It's just that each cup's holding some of that. Okay, so you're saying we're all part of that. Yeah, and then the obvious question is, well, I thought God doesn't have parts. And, and the answer is that we're all one. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true, we make a better day, just you and me. Everybody, we are the world. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) When you're down and out. So, (laughs) MJ, so, okay, listen up. So we're going to do a little prayer meditation. And what we're going to start with is just the word Baruch. And Baruch means knees. It's, I'm sorry, you always got to go with roots, sorry. Baruch comes from the root of Bet Resh. Bet Resh Chav. When I forgot to turn around the camera. There we go. It's right. It, it records backwards the words when I write them. It's reversed, so now it's good. Um, so the word uh, Baruch, yeah, I'll put it in English for those who are a little Hebrew impaired. Baruch has the root bet, resh. Maybe I'll use block letters just to make it really easy. This is just not a good pen. 
Yeah, we are the children. Yeah, yeah, I love expo markers. Okay, here we go. So when you have the word Baruch, so it comes from the root Bet, Reish, and Chaf, and that's a root right there. Bet, Bet, Reish, and Chaf. And the root bet rishon chaf is a couple things. One of it is it is knees, knees. So whenever you're saying baruch, you're talking about the knees. Well, what are knees? What do knees do? What do they bend? Okay, very good. That's important to bend because what do we do during aleinu l'shabeach? We bend down. Vanachnu korim is the means to go down on your knees. Actually, we're supposed to go down on our knees when we say aleinu, but we're not going to go into why we don't do that anymore but maybe we'd be blessed too. Um, so I want you to watch my stature. You see my height right here where the pen is? Now, I'm going to use my knees, and I want you to watch what happens. Okay, you see that? That's just knees. I'm not doing anything but knees. I'm going to put my hand where I'm at now. And you'll see that there is a very large height differential that goes from here down to about there. Okay? And I have basically lowered my stature, which is... Then I've humbled myself. And you'll notice every blessing, and there's a lot of baruchs in prayer, um, every blessing is a lowering of stature. It's a humbling of oneself. So when I say baruch, I'm really, I'm really bringing myself down. Well, think about even the baruch I made over my water. Is I didn't just take this water and drink it. I made a bracha over it. Well, before I even said the word baruch, it's already humbling why? I'm not the source of this stuff. And when I make a bracha, I'm recognizing source, which is the word Yehudi. To give, to give, we call it give thanks, which is another inane word in uh, English. To give thanks. Give thanks to God. Thank you, God. You know, I, that just doesn't feel meditative. But when I recognize the source, so the fact that I've been recognizing anything is a sign of humility. You know what it's like? It's like all that. I grew up in the Hollywood world. And so everyone like stepped all over everybody and slept their way to the top. Yeah. And I'm not going to say me too. Because I grew up there, but my father was in clothing, not in showbiz. Yeah. How I wound up in showbiz with you guys, I have no idea. That's, that's a miracle. So now when they finally get their Academy Award, you guys watch Academy Awards? At first they're up there, they're just like, they don't know what to do with themselves because how they got there was like not a good story. So, so what do they do? Uh, well, well, I'd like to thank um, all of my producers and I would like to thank uh, my parents and I would like, and they're just like, well, you got to say something. But meanwhile, they, they, none of this process was a gratitude process but suddenly you get to the top you ran out of what to say because it, what basically you did was everything wrong in the world to get there and but you happen to be a good actor or you happen to be particularly good looking and you got your academy award and now you're stuck because you got to start thanking people and of course that thanks is hollow because in the end you know you didn't recognize much until you got there and you ran out of what to say, so you thanked people. Now, 
the fact that you're saying Baruch means that you're you're the opposite of that Academy Award winner. You're someone who flat out realizes you are not the source of anything. You're just not the source. Well, what about when you are? Let's say you slept, uh, I don't know, you slept 12 liters of water, two six-packs of the big bottles to the top of Masada for your group. By the way, don't try that because they have water at the top. But let's pretend they didn't. And you slept them up and everyone thanked you and you say, no, if you don't mind, um, don't thank me. If you would just make a bracha, that would be enough for me. Because I'm not the source of this water. What do you mean? You just brought it up to the top of the mountain on the you know switchback trail. What do you call that thing? The snake trail. You just brought it up. Oh, yeah? How, how do you think I brought that up without God? What would it be like trying to bring up two six-packs of, of you know, liter-and-a-half bottles without God helping you up that mountain? It wouldn't happen. So everything's brought to you by God. But everything. Everything. So whenever you make the word Baruch, you're automatically recognizing the source, okay? But then I say the word Baruch, I'm lowering my stature. I'm using my Birkayim, my Berich. And I'm lowering myself. But Baruch has another meaning. So one is knees. One is knees. And the other one, how do you spell knees? Something like that. The other one is Brecha. What does Brecha mean? Swimming pool. I like that you said swimming pool. What's your first name? Shai. Shai says swimming pool, which is really cute because we live in such a luxurious time of of life. Did you know that pools were never for swimming? What were pools? I mean, unless you were a king. What were pools for? Washing. Irrigation. Usually not washing. That would not be a good use of it. Be irrigation, drinking. It was how we sustained ourselves. Pools were for sustenance. How's it going? Welcome. Come, just grab a seat anywhere. It doesn't matter. So pools were for sustenance. That's how we survived. Today, pools are for swimming. And we survive off, I don't know, these taps. Somehow water comes out of them. Where it comes from. And there's this guy in my mikvah who brushes his teeth while he's under the shower. You know, he's just like, the shower's just going, this big guy, he's just like, you know, I'm just watching the canary, like. I literally shower less because of this guy. I'm like making up, well, well he brushes his teeth, so I'll just like go under there for a second. You know, no one used too much water after that guy went in there. So, anyway, the word is brecha, and it means uh, source of sustenance. Source of sustenance is the word baruch, brecha, so it means knees, which lowers your stature, and source of sustenance, which is the word brecha. Now, it also means... Um, it also means blessing, like to get a bracha. Baruch means blessing. But God doesn't need our blessings, so maybe the real thing is that He's the source of blessing, source of blessing, or source of sustenance. Meaning, when we're blessing God, He doesn't need a bracha. Like, you know, God, let me give you a bracha that, like, you have an amazing year. You know, God, let me give you a bracha. You should have a. Lots of kids. God doesn't need a bracha for that. So, blessing really means he's the source of the blessings of your life. 
And the weird part is that some of the hardest things you ever went through turned out to be your biggest blessings. And so really everything's a blessing. In the end, it's just when you're going through it, you do anything to get out of it. But in reality, who you've become is only because of the blessing of the tougher stuff. And think about it. God's more busy with you when, he's, when you're going through something hard. God's more busy with you than if you were going through everything easy. Think about it. If everything's going easy with you, there's not a lot of variables. But if things start getting like complicated and difficult, there's a ton of variables that God's involved with. He's always orchestrating, but if your life went smoothly, God would be less intimately bound up with you. But if your life actually starts having rough patches and complication, so God's actually even more invested in you than ever. But how many people, when it's rough, you know, they're like fair-weathered believers? If it's going rough, where's God? And only when it's going well, there's God. It's a very Gentile way of looking at God. I mean, Gentiles, you know, if you watch all the major musicals and plays and operas, it's always like, whenever things are going rough, they're like, and where is God? You know, when I'm going through this. And Jews just don't speak that way. Because we know that God's intimately bound up with us. And the more intense things are getting, the more he's kind of showing his face. You know, he's kind of letting us know that, okay, time to grow. Time to grow. Here I am. I'm going to be throwing curveballs now. Watch out for the curveballs. Let's see how you can react to a curveball. And let's, let's help you grow. Okay, so let's do a little meditation on Baruch, and then uh, I think we'll call it a day. Normally I go through everything, but meaning we do all six. Baruch, Atah, Hashem, Elokeinu, Melech, Ha'elam. It's quite fascinating. Every one of these words is a universe. And by, by the way, sometimes I do one word a day for six days, meaning we literally spend an hour on each word to understand the full meditation of each word. And think how you, you make a bracha. How do you make a bracha? I mean, Jesse... No offense, I understand it's been meaningless what you brought up in prayer. But have you ever focused on bracha like on baruch like this? You never have. So baruch is usually just thrown out like you know baruch atashem lekinu melech hoylam baruch atashem lekinu melech baruch atashem baruch atah. It sounds like the word ata has a chaf chata baruch atah. There's no chaf on a word ata. Ata means you. It has no chaf. And how many of us say melech ha'olam? And how many of us say melech ha'olam? As if the word ha'olam has a chaf. Melech ha'olam. Ha'olam doesn't have a chaf. But it's not that we're guilty. Everybody's guilty of this. I've been to big weddings where the rabbi gets up there and he's got the cup. It's his big bracha. And he's like, like suddenly the word melech's his like huge Kabbalistic inspiration. Well, like he, he just had this like giant inspiration with the word king, melech. No, just like he didn't pay attention to any of those words, you're probably not paying attention to that word. How can you pay attention to something that sounds like this? Hey, there's no way to pay attention to any of that. And this is a, this is a bearded man. This guy's got a beard and he ain't no... Uh, he's not bearded because he's... What do you call those bearded guys in Brooklyn? Hipsters. Hipster. He's not a hipster. And he and you don't you, and no slouch gets called up for a bracha under a chuppah. But suddenly the word melech got really important and baruch lost its importance and atah got a chaf. Hashem was skipped completely. Elokeinu 
you know, also real quick, Melech and Melech got the, all the attention, you know. So let's do Baruch. Ready? Now what we're going to do is take it, I'll show you how we're going to do it. We're going to take in a deep breath. And then we're going to release with the word Baruch, but we're going to stay on the U. So it's going to sound like this. Just listen to me first. Baruch. Got it? Okay, let's go. Ready? Inhale. want to say a little because we got one more minute just something about the word ata ata you know what ata means you know what ata means yeah. no ata means nothing ata means nothing it's the one name we call god that's like so cool like think about it, if i call you you like hey you how are you you know would you like some water like what's going on with you think about what am i talking to exactly your skin your eardrum your your what am I talking to? Your hair? Your clothes? Like, who are you? Who is that you? You know, imagine, I'd be, why don't I be more specific? With the guy in the plaid shirt and the, you know, and the glasses and the trim beard and the brown hair um, like to go for a walk with me? You'd be like, that is the weirdest thing. Like, just say, would you like to go? Well, I don't know what you is exactly. You're certainly not a, you know, if you, most people point here. Well, you're certainly not a pump. Are you a pump? That's what you are? Pump? No, you're not a pump. You want to point here? Well, that's full of billions of neurons. You're not a neuron. So who are you? What does Atta mean? What does Atta mean? The answer is I have no idea. It doesn't mean anything, really. It's just the essence. It's the essence. And Kabbalists tell us that the word Atta in the bracha, Atta, is the highest name of God. Why? Because all the other names are verbs, and we don't have time to do this today, but if you come tomorrow and ask me, we'll do Hashem, which is a total verb. You know, yud is, and then the He and the Vav. Vav is implementation of He. I'm sorry, of Yud. Think about it, Yud and a Vav are the same letter. It's just Yud's state in idea form. Vav gets implemented. Got that? It's verbiage. These are verbs. Got all of God's names are verbs. But the word Atah is essence. Now, our rabbis say that the word Atah is chutzpah. How dare you call God you? Why? Why can you not call God you? Because if it's a king, you call him your, uh, your highness. If it's a judge, you call him your honor. If you're speaking to the president with the president like a couple of water, you don't call these people second person. In Spanish, they have a totally separate word. What's the word in Spanish for you, for your elders? Usted. There's tu and there's usted. You don't even call them you. You have usted for that. So too, in English, you call a judge your honor. So who are we to call God you? You ever thought about that? How can you call God you? How can you call God you? It's chutzpah. You want to know the answer is? The answer is baruch. Baruch is the key to calling God you. You want to know why? Because when you lower your stature, 
with Baruch, when you humble your stature, when you humble your body, what rises? When you humble the body, what comes up? Your soul. Well, what's a soul? Ezra, what's a soul? A part of God, which means you and God are contemporaries. You're contemporaries. Do contemporaries call each other you? Yes. When two judges are playing tennis after a day of court, he doesn't say, would your honor serve the ball? He says, serve the ball. You're, you're serve. They call each other you because they're contemporaries. And the reason we call God you is that we are contemporaries of God in the soul level. But that's chutzpah. How can you say you're a contemporary of God? You're a contemporary of God? Like two judges playing tennis? And the answer is, if you start with Baruch, if you humble the body part, if you humble your ego, if you stop seeing yourself as the source of all reality, and you actually humble yourself to realize you're not the source, even if you schlep two six-packs of water at the top of Masada, you are not the source of that water. That nothing happens if God doesn't say it happens, and he's helping carry you up that mountain. So when you humble yourself, so the soul just sucks rises, your soul ascends, and you and God are one. And that's atah. Atah means you and God are one. Deep breath. Inhale, we're going to do atah now. Close your eyes for this, because it's essence. Verbs, it's the essence of God. We have no idea what it is, but you're one with it. Inhale. Baruch. Baruch. Eyes closed. Humble. He's the source of sustenance and blessing. Inhale. Which is you, it's chutzpah, unless you and God are one. His essence, your essence are bound up together forever. Open your eyes. It's a different approach to prayer. And you know what? Even in English, you could play with it. It's, English is obviously lame for prayer. But you can even play with that stuff in English a little bit. A little bit. It's, there's room for play. But for God's sake, <laughs> for God's sake, slow it down. Get patient. Don't go for it. You know what? I'd even say that the majority of you in this room shouldn't even be doing the skeleton that I do three times a day. I would say to, to not even do the skeleton. Just get intimate with God. And once you got the intimacy down, you can now start opening prayer books, which are full of all kinds of cool Kabbalistic stuff that takes years to know. But, but now you can start playing around with the skeleton of the Kabbalistic import of the three times a day prayer. Let's slow it all down. Make sure at least once a day when you prayed, you were in it. And the rest of the day, you felt like something happened. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.